Hi, and welcome to Zurich's Perspectives, Zurich's podcast where we deliver market insights and thought leadership. Today is our fifth podcast. We will be discussing some general property topics. Just maybe a quick recap in terms of where what we've covered so far with the first four podcasts. We hosted Sad Moret, Zurich's chief agent. We had Jeff Kislasko and Greg Arvin, who share their insights on programs. We discussed what was going on in the liability space, and more recently, a robust conversation around cyber insurance. So back to today's podcast. Um, David Spagnolo manages the general property portfolio for Zurich Canada. He joined Zurich about um, 18 months ago from Temple. Uh, Temple is a Munich Cree in, in Canada. So David has a strong reinsurance background um, that's proved very useful and uh, helpful in, in the last couple of years, given the market conditions. I'm very pleased to uh, welcome uh, David to the podcast today. Hi, David. How are you today? Pretty good, Alvin. How about yourself? I'm all right. It's good to have you on the podcast. So, David, you've been in this uh, market for a while. You've been at Temple before you joined Zurich. So you have uh, the unique perspective of having been on the reinsurance side of things, but also now on the direct side of, of the market. So tell us what you think we are, where we are in this market after three years of hardening conditions. Are property carriers finally finding the equilibrium between rate and losses? Are they able to make money in Canada today? Well, you know, that, that's a, a very um, you know, important question, a very difficult question too. And I, I think that when, when people are talking about hard market, they really, you know, they get stuck on, on, on rate. And when you're really looking at it, it's more than just rate. Um, looking at rate would be just too simplistic. So we really have to look at how this affects customers. What are some of the actions and reactions that we're seeing in the large Canadian property market and the global uh, Canadian uh, the global market for for large property risk? So, you know, some of the actions that that you see are some markets have stopped writing new business either altogether or just opened it up on a selective basis. Uh, some markets have come out with selective rules on how long uh, they need a submission to be sent, sent, uh, sent in advance. Some markets are three months, some markets are four months. Other markets uh, re-underwrote or restructured their portfolios based on needs of their current book of business. Uh, a lot of markets had to cut back capacity in various degrees. You know, due to the losses in the insurance industry and the shortage of capacity, more attention was being looked at at counterparty risk and, and especially fronting. So in the end, you know, due to all this, what did we see? So some unique things that we saw in the Canadian market was split rating. That was not something that we saw in the past. Um, you know, markets are charging different prices for, for, for um, the same risk, um, which is fine with Zurich. Zurich is... Um, doesn't quote best terms. Uh, we're fine with the terms we quote, but this was a new phenomenon to the Canadian market. Uh, you know, we saw split slips, uh, you know, where on the same risk, there was different wordings, different deductibles, different structures. We saw unfilled placements and uh, we saw a lot more and we're seeing a lot more diligence on counterparty risk, which affects fronting. 
And, uh, you know, there's a lot of structure changes on account. So when we're talking about hard market and then, you know, people are just focused on rating, we're still seeing all these things that I talked about, split rating, split slips, unfilled placements. We're still seeing all these things. Um, now, mar markets are, are at different places right now. There's still rate intensity in the market. Uh, some markets are at a different place in correcting their portfolios or reevaluating re the app, their appetite. But we're still seeing the conditions that are associated uh, with a hard market. Um, Zurich is committed to the Canadian property market. Uh, we've been in underwriting, you know, a considerably amount, uh, a new amount of, uh, of new business in the last few years. We, we, we did keep our um, doors open. Um, and, um, you know, in, in order for, for Canadian property markets to make a consistent profit, um, there, there is going to have to be underwriting discipline. And um, we'll see this continuing in, um, in the short term to long term, that markets will focus on underwriting discipline and, and there will be rate intensity uh, in the marketplace. It may be at varying degrees depending on the account, but there will still be rate intensity. So rate intensity, that's kind of a new term. Is that a, a euphemism for rate increases, but only moderate or... Um... Help me well, with that because I yeah, haven't heard so, rate intensity before. So what, what you'll see is you'll still see rate increases, um, mm -hmm. but they'll be at varying degrees depending on the class of business, um, the, the appetite of the insurer. So what more and more you'll see is there'll be a divergence where some classes will have extreme rate intensity. Mm -hmm. There'll be some classes that some carriers still do not want. And, and then it'll still be extremely difficult to place. And there'll be some classes where people are a little bit more open to writing it as new business, especially maybe more so when you compare it in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So the level of rate intensity will differ amongst those two different places. So in the, in the past, yeah, go ahead. we were just saying, you know, a rate increase here or there. What's the flat increase? Is it 15? Is it 20%, 25%? I think what you're seeing is a, a varying of, of approach from insurers, depending where those accounts land on that particular spectrum. Is it out of appetite? Is it in appetite? Mm -hmm. um, so, but overall, if you were to measure the Canadian property market or global property market, there's still rate intensity where you're still seeing rate increases. Okay. So, you mentioned that there's rate and then there's other levers that underwriters, but also brokers and insurers have at their disposal. So you can play with the retention, you can play with the wording, you can play with the limits. How much of that is still going on? And do you recommend that insurers and brokers look at all these variables, right? So beyond rate in pure price. And, this, and so are we at a place in the market where if I want to limit the rate intensity on my account, you would strongly suggest that I look at my retention, that I look at my limits that are exposed, that I look at my, the quality of my risk engineering. So what are all the, the parameters that a broker and a customer should be looking at? Well, I mean, definitely retention has, uh, is a big part of it. Uh, the more the insured retention uh, retains, uh, obviously that has uh, an effect of, on rating. Um, the quality of information that's received, um, 
obviously, um, when insurers receive information, um, when they don't receive the full submission, they have to assume the worst, whatever's left out. They can't fill in the blank and assume that it's the best. So mm-hmm. the, more, the more information that the insurer receives on, on, on a property risk, the better it is. Insurers also look at inspection recommendations. So um, maybe in the soft market, this was a dialogue that was missed in the past. So insurers do look at, in, in terms of, are, are, they, are they complying with recommendations and what kind of recommendations those are? So there's some things the insured cannot help. Obviously, if your, your risk is in a cat zone, you know, you get it. But however, there's on an inspection report, report uh, there are a lot of things that are on, under the insured's control what, you know, that they can do to improve a risk. Mm-hmm. And if they're not doing that, especially if they're human element items that cost no money and um, it tells you something about the insured's um, commitment to risk management. So the, these are all things that the broker can do um, to see what you know how that helps, right? And obviously, and you brought up earlier, structure that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, structure. If, if an account is restructured, primary access versus quota share, the broker really controls what happens in, in a structured placement. For a variety of reasons, companies have different um, appetites. All good. None are the best. Every, every No comp- company has the monopoly on, on what is the best appetite for them. The company itself knows what's the best appetite uh, for, you know, for, for what they want to underwrite. So when you restructure an account, whether it be you know, on, on a primary access basis, in, especially in a hard market, it, it's, it's easier for the broker to attract capacity uh, some accounts, some you know, for some classes, companies may just want to look at it on an excess basis. They may not like it at uh, that particular class. Some some uh, companies might want to look at it down low and and don't mind the attritional losses and are willing to put some some capacity down low. So, if with they restructure an account, especially on classes that are out of appetite, it does attract more markets to to that particular risk. Are they accounts, industry-specifics, um, amounts of limits that lend themselves more to certain types of structures than others, right? So you, you talk about the, not just the quality of risk, but the industry. So, you know, if you're a plastic company and you're buying $500 million of capacity, if you're a waste company, if you're... So can you give us some sort of clues here as to, for brokers, so that they don't have to kind of look at multiple structures and they know which ones to go in with um, is there a sort of a rule of thumb that if you're in certain industry you are more likely to be successful in the current market conditions if you go in with the layered approach versus the quarter share and what are the some of the the, the, the key drivers behind those structures yeah I, I guess one of the misconceptions out there is that underwriters are the the, the underwriting companies really control um, you know, the structure, the structure is really controlled by, you know, the creativity of the broker and their clients. And it's really dictated by market appetite. And this is affected by, uh, you know, a number of factors, lack of capacity, also restructuring due to pricing. So when, when we're looking at it, we really have to look at what influences a layer structure from an appetite, an underwriting appetite point of view. All the broker is doing is trying to attract as much interest in the account, as much um, available capacity as possible. In mm. the soft market, we saw 
quota share stretches. It was easier for the broker. There was a, you know, a lot of capacity and it's an easier placement. The more difficult the placement, um, so when, when you're looking at it, anything with you know, serious NatCat issues, whether they be in Canada or in, or in the United States, a structured approach will help for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have difficulty, difficult classes, and what I mean by difficult classes, and this is where you know, it, the term is not um, the same for everybody, um, where the PMLs equal the NL, uh, MFLs or EMLs, uh, probable maximum loss, equal to the maximum, the maximum for foreseeable loss. Um, when, when you have different um, um, sublimits in, in particular different, different zones. So in reality, what the market deems harder, um, and this can change uh, depending on, on, on appetite, um, that it's easier for them to, to, to attract more capacity when when, when it's structured, like I said, there are markets out there that don't mind the attritional losses and are willing to bet on a primary position. Some markets uh, will really look at it on an excess point of view, and they'll all be triggered by by uh, different things. Mm-hmm. Some of it can be construction type. Some markets uh, pay a lot more attention to frame. Some markets will want to be an excess position over, over frame. Some markets... Um, on risks that have high volatility, maybe some uh, mining type risks or forestry type risks. Some markets don't mind to be on an excess position. Um, some markets would rather be down low and say, if, if it's going to all burn down to the ground, I just want to put a little bit up and get my rate of return. It mm-hmm. really varies on market. And there's, there is a lot of market out there. So brokers are able and where it got difficult in this hard market, as I mentioned earlier, Zurich had kept the doors open and we, we did a lot of, you know, consulting with brokers, trying to help them complete placements as well too. And when there was difficulty attracting um, capacity, if you keep the structure, a quota share structure, it is very difficult because different markets have different appetites. And like yeah. I said before, they're all good. It's really dependent on the company's experience and and what they're comfortable doing. So the more you structure an account, the more you can attract capacity towards it. Yeah. Uh, David, you mentioned natural catastrophes earlier as a, as a, as a variable to sort of assess sublimits and and how to sort of position capacity in in a layered um, program. Historically, what has the uh, what has been the impact of cat losses in Canada, and what has it been like in the last couple of years, and where do you think this is trending uh, going forward? When we talk about it, there's there's two ways to really look at cat losses in Canada, and, and, and what I've seen from 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 my um, experience, um, you know, it's no secret to anyone that we've seen increasing cat losses in the Canadian market. There was a stat by uh, IBC and, and, and Cat IQ that. You know, from like 1983 to 2008, the average industry loss was 422 million. You know, from 2019 to 2019, the average cat industry loss was $1.9 billion. So you see exponential growth in cat mm-hmm. losses in, 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 in the Canadian market. But when we're really looking at it, the first is we're going to look at it. If you look at it, there's the nat cat losses in Canada. And secondly, what's not really talked about in the Canadian market, but that's had a huge impact in, in this 
hard market is the growing awareness of Canadian underwriters of global map pricing. So if we, 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 if we talk about the first, and I mentioned the numbers earlier, the exponential growth, if, if you just look at the last 10 years, we, you know, we've seen uh, Fort McMurray floods and fire. We've seen Alberta flooding. Uh, we've seen the large uh, Slave Lake fire. We've seen the 2017 Quebec floods, the 2013 Toronto rainstorms. Uh, these losses are happening across the country. Yes, there is a lot of losses in Alberta, but these losses are happening across the country. And the, the dollar amounts of these claims are exponentially growing, as, as I had mentioned earlier. In the past, when people looked at Canada, you know, global reinsurers, they've they seen it as, as a, a cat-free place to place your, you know, your, your money. And they were really just focused on BC and, and, and Quebec quake, if you will. Now what we're seeing that because some of these losses, if you look at the Fort McMurray loss, these losses you know, affected global reinsurers balance sheets. They affected some insurers globally. And, and a lot of global insurers were not used to insurers and reinsurers that the their whole global balance sheet is affected by just losses in Canada. So this has created a, a lot more awareness. Uh, a lot of it, you know, through local awareness, but a lot of it from head offices and, you know, looking at Canada and saying, wow, Canada's, you know, there is a lot of risk and there's not cat risk as well too. Another phenomenon that we're seeing is the investment in um, tools for, for, you know, for flood and, and large fire losses, um, you know, forest fire losses, and, and which is a new phenomenon, uh, you know, to the Canadian market, it, which we're seeing, you know, in the last, you know, with Slave Lake and the Fort McMurray large fire, which were two extreme losses that, you know, markets have, have developed models allow, around forest fires. And in the past, what's happened is the Canadian market, a lot of global tools, um, they weren't as focused and detailed on, on Canadian flood. Uh, Canada being a large company, a uh, country, sorry, it's, it's extremely hard to uh, map the whole, you know, Canada in terms of flooding. So in the last two or three years, you've seen reinsurers come out, insurers come out, uh, and, and third-party sources come out with better global, uh, sorry, Canadian cat flood modeling. And you've seen a lot more local awareness, some markets better than others, but you've seen a lot more local awareness onto on local conversation, uh, conservation flood mapping and, and local provincial flood mapping. Alberta is a good example. So what this has done is brought more awareness to NatCat locally. So um, in the past, even if you're looking at London market being attracted to Canada, it wasn't in the conversation. Everybody was just looking at earthquake accumulations more and more um, flood has entered into the, um, the context of placements and uh, forest fires, obviously. And it's what their head offices are, are, are really interested in. Um, the second element, when we talk about NatCat in, in Canada, which, which has been forgotten in the soft market, but which we're, what we're seeing a lot more now is that um, Canadian underwriters are paying more attention to global cat. Um, in the past, um, if you were to look at U.S. head offices or European head offices, a lot of Canadian risks were, were charging less for um, U.S. windstorm, you know, Cal Quake, Florida wind, European flood, German flood, um, U.K. flood. And, and a lot of this was because, you know, Canadian markets in the past were doing so well 
before the advent of the hard market. And um, what has happened is with the global reinsurance market um, suffering the large NATCAT losses and, and some of the you know, significant loss years that it's had is, is global head offices are, are forcing Canadian markets to pay more attention to what they're pricing out. So if someone refers in a risk for, for CalQuake or US Wind, they're saying, okay, you know, your US counterparts are getting double or triple what you're asking for on this particular risk. So what we've seen in the Canadian market in the last two year, two or three years is a greater awareness of global cat pricing. And this has obviously made it harder for brokers, not just dealing with cat, uh, the effects of Canadian cat, but global cat on some of these large, uh, you know, risk placements. At, at Zurich, um, obviously being a large risk underwriter, property risk underwriter, just not in Canada, but globally, you know, has helped us uh, because we're, we're in tune to the global cap pricing and we've seen it over the last, you know, um, decade. So we're, we're a little bit more in tune. There are markets that uh, have had to catch up a little quicker than others um, because of, of this, uh, of paying attention to, to global cap, NAT cap pricing a little bit more. So David, are we able to model all types of natural catastrophe risks or um, so quake is something that's well understood from a cat modeling standpoint. Uh, you were talking about flood now. So the reinsurers now have cat modeling for flood in Canada, correct? Yes, it, it, it's gotten ba- uh, better. There, there are a few tools out there. Um, it, it has gotten better. Um, it's still not to the point where it is in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that comes for you know, a variety of reasons. One being uh, global, most companies put a lot more resources to US companies because it's yeah. a bigger market and there is more NatCat ha- uh, hazards and, and there's significant uh, repercussions of not doing that uh, uh, well. And, and the other, it was just the lack of absence of large Canadian losses. But what you've seen now is that markets uh, have put uh, more money towards their flood modeling and, uh, you know, some, some reinsurers as well too in, in Canada. And um, there's also greater awareness in, in tying in, in local flood maps to some of this modeling as well too. You know, unfortunately we, we look at some modeling results in Canada and sometimes the, the models aren't totally correct. And then we defer to, local conservation maps and Alberta is a, is a good example of, uh, of one too, but whether it be in Toronto, uh, whether it be in BC, there's a lot of local conservation maps that, that do help with this. And I, I think there's greater awareness of underwriters of these local cons- conservation maps. And it goes both ways. One, the model might say it's in a risk, it's a severe flood risk. And then the underwriter looks at it more closely and realizes looking at the local conservation map that it's not and, and vice versa, where we have some known areas that have had flooding in the past. And um, we look at the conservation maps and, and we correct the global flood tools that the property market's been given, whether it be from reinsurers, whether it be um, from brokers or, you know, brokerage re- uh, reinsurance brokers or whether it be from um, models that the companies develop themselves or in conjunction with third parties. But there's greater awareness and there is more reliability on those tools for for Canada. It is not at a perfect place. It's still growing. But if I were to look back and compare it to where it was two or three years ago, it is improving. Okay. Let me uh, switch gear on you here. Um, 
uh, if I may, David, uh, you talked about counterparty risk earlier. So uh, Zurich and other carriers in Canada do a lot of international programs. And when you talk about international programs, you talk about fronting, fronting capabilities, and you usually are fronting by definition on behalf of other insurers or reinsurers. Tell us uh, what are some of the um, constraints, uh, some of the new challenges that, uh, that we're facing, Zurich and others, I believe, in, in fronting on behalf of other markets. Yeah, it, it, I would say this is a very new phenomenon in, in, in Canada. And it, it's come to the point now where um, it is a factor in, in placement. So, so basically, uh, in the past, you know, Canadian markets are doing very well. Um, global markets on large property, you know, were, were doing well before, you know, the advent of the hard market. So a, a lot of attention wasn't paid on counterparty risk. With, with what's happened in the industry, a lot of attention now is on, on counterparty risk. And what people don't realize then is that, I'll give you an example of Zurich is taking 25% of a $400 million placement, $100 million, and we're fronting for the, 300 other, the other 300 million, whether it be in Mexico or whether it, whether it be in Germany. Um, we are taking that, if a loss happens in that country, we pay that loss. Say if it's a $400 million loss, we pay that loss. Mm-hmm. And, and we're dependent that, um, you know, through the, the reinsurance agreements that we have with the markets that we front for, that they will pay us what they will pay us back. And now, what the question is, is what agencies are looking at is, you know, with what happened with COVID and, and some of the financial strain and other large events that we've seen in the last two or three years, rating agencies are, are, are looking at these companies and are, are they well capitalized enough? And they're not just looking at those particular companies. They're looking at the business that companies like Zurich and other large companies do with those particular companies. So, you know, now a lot more attention is paid to what are our accumulations with those particular companies how are those particular companies that we're funding for in terms of, are, are they financially healthy? Um, a lot more I's and T's are, are, you know, dotted and crossed in terms of the legality and reinsurance agreements with soft market conditions, what happened in the past, it was the last thing people talked about. They almost waited till after the placement with all the attention now that's on counterparty risk um, and the amount of due process that companies really are, are, are putting themselves under to make sure that they're monitoring it correctly. This now is done before the placement. And unfortunately, the, what happens with this is, is it puts a lot of pressure especially in a hard market on the broker where the broker is not just worried about attracting capital to complete the placement. They're also making sure that, that they're, they're able to get front uh, companies that others can front for Mm -hmm. as, as well too. So instead of leaving it to the end of the conversation, after an account was bound, you're seeing this more part of the dialogue, more part of the brokering process where it's becoming part of the placement process. And, um, you know, where Zurich is fortunate, um, we do front and we have been for a long time in the Canadian market. So, you know, our, our underwriters have been going through and our, our, um, our people in charge of international paper have been helping educate brokers and, and going through this process with brokers as, as, as well too, um, and help in helping to, to alleviate some of the strain. 
We talked about wording a little bit earlier too. So in these market conditions, um, what's happening with wording? And you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had um, Eugene um, uh, Rowe on the liability side of things. Uh, we had the cyber guys. Uh, so everybody has a story to tell about what's happening to wordings in, in their line of business. What's the current state of play here at, at Zurich in terms of wording uh, or more broadly in, in, in the market? Well, I, I think what you're what you're definitely seeing in the market, and we see it on a lot a lot of placements, especially in new business, is a movement towards uh, company wordings, um, uh, you know, in, in, and insurer wordings. Um, contract certainty is, is a very uh, big buzz issue. Obviously, insurance companies, you know, they rate risk, they evaluate risk, and um, they don't want to be covering things that were not intended to to cover. Um, so. When, when you're dealing on some manuscripts, there are manuscripts in the market and, and, and that is still happening. But what you're seeing is where there are manuscripts. There, there's a lot more due diligence um, from companies and reading them and making sure there's no um, contract uncertainty. Uh, that's something, you know, companies can't plan for and, and they can't cover They were never meant to cover on their balance sheet. So um, that is the buzzword. And, and there's a lot more attention being paid to, to wordings. Um, mm-hmm. And what you have too, with the advent of um, COVID and a lot of different things, a lot of people have different exclusions. And so um, companies have a lot of mandatory endorsements now. So there is a mo- movement towards, you know, companies, you know, obviously, whether it be on cyber, uh, you know, due to the, the silent cyber and, and mm-hmm. a lot of the issues that causes and, and um, the, um, the COVID. But what a lot of people don't understand, what people may not understand when they're dealing with insurance companies is insurance companies have treaties and they have mandatory exclusions. So there has to be contract certainty for the insurer in order for us to be covered on a reinsurance basis mm-hmm. as, as well, too. It's not a matter of do we like it? Is it just because we like it and it's easier for it? It has, has much more to do uh, than that. We have to have contracts, certainty that we're not picking up losses that are not covered under our treaties and obviously that we don't mean to cover. So there's a lot more certainty from, you know, a lot more scrutiny from all markets in underwriting uh, wordings going forward. And there is a preference and we're seeing it. It doesn't mean it happens on all accounts, but we're seeing a, a preference from the market for for company wordings. All right, David, last question. It's a question I like to ask to all of our guests. What do you do when you're not underwriting general property insurance on your spare time? What are your hobbies? <laughs> if you have any, I know you're busy. Well, right. uh, we're all busy. And, yes. um, and um, you know, my answers would be a lot different, um, you know, with, the, with COVID right now, um, uh, like most people, a lot of my you know, a lot of the things I'm interested in, obviously travel is definitely one. A lot of these things uh, you can't do. Um, so, you know, I will say, it, you know, hiking locally. Um, mm-hmm. In the winter, um, there's been not much to do. I, I think for mo- most people, you, you know, you really can't go to the gym or or do other things. I, you know, I like to entertain with people. Um, obviously that's difficult or if impossible in, in this COVID era. So, um, you know, a little bit of reading, um, but um, I think I'm like most people and I, you know, we just can't wait for this to, to, to end and, and for, you know, life to get back to, back to normal. Um, I do have teenage kids, so that keeps me busy for a variety of reasons as well, too. 
All right, David, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you being on the podcast today. I don't think we've seen each other very much in the office when, since you joined Zurich. So I look very much forward to seeing you back in the office, hopefully very soon. Thank well, you, David. Me too. Thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to speak. Thank you. So it was good to hear from David uh, uh, today on the podcast. So some key words uh, I think are important to, to remember. Um, one is the counterparty risk, or also known as credit risk. So when we talk about international programs in particular, where we're, being, we're asking an insurance company to front on behalf of other insurers or reinsurers, that fronting company, and let's say Zurich, is now taking the credit risk because it's fronting the full limit of the policy but it's obviously reinsured. So if the reinsurance agreements are not perfectly in sync, uh, when and if there is a loss, then the fronting company, Zurich or somebody else, runs the risk of being on the hook with that proper reinsurance. So give yourselves plenty of time to think through who is providing capacity on an international property program, because the fronting company might have something to say about who they reinsure on behalf of, right? Oh, so that's one thing. The, the other thing that, that came out loud and clear is capacity. Obviously, in, in the difficult market, um, capacity comes at a premium and, and capacity has shrunk over the last couple of years. We're not exactly sure where that's going to go from here. Um, but that, that is obviously a direct uh, consequence of hardening market conditions. So if you want more capacity, you're likely to have to pay more for it. And your job as a broker, obviously, is to sort of tell a compelling story, your client compelling story, to make an argument that the capacity that insurance companies are willing to provide for your customer is, is well managed, right? And so that there is, there is good rate return uh, or return uh, risk sort of uh, equation here. David talked about appetite. Um, obviously, appetite is something that's relatively uh, subjective. Every insurance company is going to have a different appetite. And you know, brokers obviously are well aware of what varying in, uh, appetites exist with, with insurance companies. Um, but that has some bearing on the capacity um, that you're going to be able to find for a given risk. We talked about cat modeling and how historically Canada has been sort of benign in terms of cat losses uh, from a reinsurance standpoint. So um, there was a lot of capacity deployed to Canada by reinsurers. And then there was some events in the last several years that actually were not totally expected. And so that has triggered a movement towards imposing cat modeling around flood, uh, wildfires, as much as you can modeling wildfires. And all of this obviously leads to some restrictions in capacity, right? Because, because when, when you start understanding your exposure better, that usually leads to, you know, a less benign view of the risk. And that is going to trigger maybe less capacity or more dollar for the capacity that is required. And last but not least, obviously, we talked about structure. So quarter share layered, right? There isn't a million different ways to skin a cat in the property world. So engage with your underwriter as to what you think as a broker is the optimal uh, program structure, why you think it might be quarter share, and be open to a conversation where somebody might have a different point of view and say, 
well, if you want my capacity on this type of exposure, this type of risk, I'd rather be layered or quarter share, whatever the answer is. So, but these are the conversations that need to happen way before you get to really sort of the, the, the beginning of the renewal cycle, right? Because that's going to dictate obviously your, your placement and conversations you might have with other insurance companies. So pretty good conversation. I want to thank David again for being on the, on the podcast today. As always, you can find the podcast on the, on the, the Zurich Canada website. Um, it'll be shared on social media. And as always, if you have suggestions uh, for topics on the podcast, um, please send us your suggestions to um, the following email address, ca.podcast at zurich.com. Thank you for your time. Stay well and take care. Bye. in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained herein may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee that accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.